Hey guys, welcome back to the Grad Life Podcast. Before today's episode, I want to introduce a new partner of ours who don't get that much light shed on their grad program, and it's actually really good. That partner is ESB, the Electricity Supply Board. So ESB hire lots of grads every year. They hire into uh, several different parts of the business, engineering, IT, business, finance, marketing, and HR. So there's loads of opportunity there across the board. The pros of joining them, as well as just being part of a really prestigious company in Ireland and essentially fueling the island with energy, uh, they place a real focus on project management, technical and soft skills, have a competitive salary, and then a huge thing, a really good thing, companies like this, is the social side. So they do like tag rugby, they have lots of charity stuff going on. They've got a fund for uh, the kind of social causes called Energy for Generations Fund, which is really cool. Uh, but there's loads of clubs and societies and that sort of stuff. So for anyone whose grad life values include like culture, community and, and that sort of stuff, I think this would be a really good fit for them. So if it is something that you're interested in, uh, they do take interns. It kind of it's a little bit sporadic as regards when they take them in. Uh, but you can always look on, online and see what opportunities are there. And then their grad application dates are between September 24th and November 2nd. So definitely jump online there. Uh, you can look into your uh, uh, college placement office as well, and they'll help you out. But 24th of September to 2nd of November, that's the window. So definitely give it a look. And as I say, across engineering, IT, business, finance, marketing, and HR, there's loads of opportunity there. We're live. <laughs> Guys, welcome back to the Grad Live podcast. Today, we're very lucky. We've got Jessica O'Leary uh, online, who is the founder of a company called Hydro Foods. Jessica, thanks for joining Pleasure. Thank you for having me. So you've had a big couple of weeks. Uh, you're running Hydro Food, but you also recently got admitted into doing an MBA in Oxford. Woo! Unbelievable. Um, yeah, still doesn't feel real. So no, it's it's. It, I don't think it'll hit me until I actually am there in the flesh, day one. Well, it's gonna be. It's good. Like it'll be obviously great uh, academically and for career, or whatever. But it'll just be so much fun. Like Oxford's such a cool place. You have a great time there. Meet great people. Yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm jealous. Um, so before we, I'm going to ask, ask you about that later on, about your motivations for doing it and all this sort of stuff, what you'd want to get out of it, the application process maybe as well even. Um, but I want to actually pick you up at Leaving Cert. You said you took an interesting approach to the Leaving Cert. Tell me all. Not interesting. It was more retrospective, right? Because the day I got um, my results, I was with my mom, who happens to be a secondary school teacher, uh, in the school I went to and basically we opened the page and I got such a fright that I actually kind of half screamed and dropped the page and she just like looked at me and panicked basically bent down picked up the piece of paper and then she screamed and started crying <laughs> and basically the the story behind that is that I've, I've always been academic to a certain extent in the sense that I've been book smart I've got good grades but um like, I can't say that I busted my gut like studying like a crazy person for the Leaving Cert. So the results that I got were not proportionate with the effort I put in, shall we say. Got you. In a good way. So basically, yeah, I guess my approach to the Leaving Cert was kind of how I have approached a lot of things in life since. And it's almost kind of like it's a system, right? And like any system... There are hard ways to do it and there are easy ways to do it. So I kind of just figured out what worked for me and went for it. So when it came to the Leaving Cert, I was in a school that did eight subjects and that was compulsory unless you had like a valid um, educational reason to drop a language. So I kind of did the maths. I was like, right, I have to do eight subjects. Six of them count. 
Um, I'm very fortunate in my upbringing in that I speak two languages fluently. So I was like French, Spanish in the bag. There's two A1s. Your English isn't um, bad either. And pardon? Your English isn't bad either. Three. <laughs> well, it's kind of ironic because basically I was like, okay, I love Irish, but studying literature and writing essays for the next two years in Irish does not appeal to me. Mm. So from the day one and fifth year, I was like, right, ordinary level. There we go. Um, and then I did, including higher level maths, I did four science subjects. So French, Spanish, higher level maths, biology, physics, chemistry. And it wasn't because I particularly loved the sciences as opposed to other subjects, but it was more, I was like, right, the way that Leaving Cert works is that it's a test. You have to sit one exam and you get the answers wrong or you get the answers right. And from my perspective, choosing three sciences meant that I had a lot less subjectivity um, when it came to like actually correcting the exam papers. You yeah. know, you can't really get a biology definition wrong and get mm. the points. You either know it or you don't. Um, so I feel like I kind of missed out on a couple of subjects like economics and history. But for the purpose of the Leaving Cert, I was like, right, this is what's going to work for me. And then when it actually came to the mocks of Leaving Cert year, I was like, listen, I do enjoy English, but I don't love it enough to write an essay a week. Um, and basically I went to my teacher, I was in the honours class, and the, or the higher honours class, and I was like, listen, like, no, not about this life. <laughs> And, and he was like, in fairness, he heard me out and he was like, listen, Jess, really don't want you to move class. Um, I can understand your reasoning for wanting to do that because my whole logic was like, I'm decent at English, but I'm only ever going to be decent. So like, even if I worked my ass off, I'd get max a B1. Yeah. Um, and basically he was like, yeah, completely get that, but stay in the class. You can do the ordinary level paper and you can kind of like engage with you can engage with like the poetry or whatever you want to in class. So that's what I did. Long story short, he tried to convince me to sit the higher level paper on the day. I was like, no, that's not how this works. Oh my God. So I followed, so I followed through with, uh, with just sitting two ordinary level papers, six, uh, higher level papers. And let's say it paid off really well. I got eight A's, two ordinary level though. Oh my God, that's ridiculous. I don't know, what's that in points? It's pretty much 600 points. Yeah, I got 615, which is not something I actually talk about much, but it was kind of funny because from my perspective, right, I already had a guaranteed 200. And with the way I structured my work schedule, the little work that I did do, I did maths grinds in the Dublin School of Grinds. I did chemistry grinds in the Dublin School of Grinds after my mocks. Because in my mocks, I got like 5.20 or 5.30 or something. Right. Um, and then literally, it was just repetition of exam papers. Practice yeah, your past yeah. papers, practice your past papers, teach your friends. That's the best way to learn. You know, if you can explain something to someone else. Mm -hmm. you know. I agree. I, I was never in a position to teach my friends, but I've definitely learned that teaching is a good way of, of learning and simplifying in your own head. Yeah. So I was, a board for, uh, I was a boarder for sixth year, so we all used to help each other out. Right. So look, we've established that you're a genius. Uh, what did you do? What did you do with this genius? What did you decide to do in college and why? It's so funny. I was talking about this with a friend literally yesterday in that I was the opposite to most people, as in most people work their ass off to get whatever points they need yeah. for the course they want to do. Whereas I was the opposite. I had points 
and had no idea what I wanted to do. Zero, no clue. Um, and I kind of like eliminated some things. I was like, okay, right, don't want to do law. I knew I was going to end up in business someday because I'm a people person, but I was like, I definitely don't want to do a business degree. And that's what kind of pushed me in towards the sciences. I've always been interested in medicine, health, sports, just that sort of thing. So the conclusion that I came to was that it was best for me to study general science. And if I studied general science, I could just specialize as I go. So basically, I would just like kind of wing it and hope that something along the way would like take my fancy. Interesting. That's such a great um, way to do it, though. Go into something you're just curious about, follow a kind of curiosity and see where it leads to. Exactly. Because exactly. I did have the insight to know that no matter what, as a woman in STEM, I would be able to get a job in a company. Didn't know what company, didn't know what field, but I knew that if I was, if I kind of got my degree, got my two under my first and, you know, had my wits about me that I knew I wouldn't be stuck at the end of the day. There you go again, uh, working and analyzing a system. Are you an analyzer or are you a systems thinker? Or like first? Are you just good at looking out into the world and saying, hmm, I can I can work that thing out? Or do you think about things very systemically from, from first principles to begin with? Systems thinker first. I would always have considered myself a big picture thinker. Like my favorite place to be and my favorite place to work is on a plane. And that Same. sounds so bizarre. But not only is that great because you don't have any internet and you don't have any distractions, up until recently at least um but i love that idea of just being on top of the world and being able to see the different towns the different mountains the sea the ocean and i really love that perspective it's like look at the whole and then break it down yeah it's uh I, i'm pretty much i do all my writing on a plane i like i really do work on it but i definitely do a lot of like creative writing same thing you're kind of removed from the normal world and you can you can uh, think differently so i always um, i always set my like I don't do it that often, but kind of annually, I try and set some sort of goals or targets. And uh, that's always on a plate. That's the only place I can do it. That's class. Um, the uh, In college, how did your thinking evolve about career over it? So you followed a curiosity, which is a great thing to do. I advise a lot of people to do it. What's it like? Is it scary when you do that? And every your friends in medicine are going, I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to be a lawyer, I'm going to be a business person, whatever. You're kind of still figuring it out halfway through. Is that is that a shaky ground to be on? I think committing to the fact that you don't have a clue and committing to the fact that you will figure it out. Um, it's not going to be today. It's not going to be tomorrow. Um, but you, like, I feel like trusting yourself enough to know that even if it is just a case of process of elimination, you will get there in the end. Mm. Um, that's, that's kind of, I guess, the, the path I took and yes of course I doubted myself <laughs> almost every day I mean I really wanted to study abroad but because I didn't know what I wanted to study it was really hard to actually like have the motivation to apply yeah um so that's why I was like okay I'm gonna stick in Dublin and I'll do either the UCD or the Trinity thing and yeah I definitely found it challenging so I spent the first two years of my college degree in UCD I knew I wanted to go there for sporting reasons. Hockey was my main sport. So I put like four courses in UCD, then like two in Trinity, and that was my CAO. And uh, yeah, I kind of had a, I kind of had a middle of the road time when I was in UCD. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. Um, general science is a difficult course because you start with 400 other people. 
Um, so you kind of, even with making friends and stuff like that, everyone's getting to know everyone. Like you, you meet someone new every single class. You even get as far as third year and you're sat beside someone you've never seen Funny. before. Yeah. Um, so it depends on whether you're the kind of person that likes that or not. That didn't bother me too much. Um, but it, my social life really revolved around my sport. Um, loved the hockey girls, had a great time there um, for kind of sporting reasons and social reasons. But that was kind of what I loved about it. And then it wasn't really until my second semester of first year that I actually made kind of a more solid group of friends. Like I met and knew lots of people, but in terms of like a gang that you associate with, yeah. it wasn't really until then. And I only kind of really solidified that through second year. Um, so that can be hard for a lot of people. Uh, for me, I, I had a lot of friends in Dublin and I had like, you know, a boyfriend and a family and a life. So I didn't feel lost, so to speak. But I knew a lot of people who came from further afield and really struggled with that. Um, but in terms of like intellectually, um, the kind of college experience side of things, it just really didn't do anything for me. Wasn't simulating. Um, Funny. Funny that it wasn't simulating for you. Uh, you, you did get to travel abroad though. You did get to, to burst that double bubble and, and get over to New Zealand. Exactly. So I knew the reason I chose my course as well was that I knew it had a, an option to spend all of third year abroad. So that was always my plan from day one. And basically, yeah, so came around in second year, just after Christmas, you have to apply. It's exclusively based on grades. They don't care who you are, what you do. It just, your grades are what will get you a place or not. And basically I knew this, so I worked hard in second year. Um, I did really well in those exams, but like my first semester of first year, thankfully I didn't fail anything, but it was like, B, C, D, 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 D. Yeah, because I just didn't care. You know, I was playing hockey. All I had to do was pass these exams. I was going, doing the college thing, you know, yeah. going out all the time, living my best life. Um, but that did bite me in the ass a little bit when it came to studying abroad. So basically, I, at that stage, had chosen uh, biochemistry as my speciality. And that kind of limited the options of where I could go study first and foremost. And then secondly, um, it was your grades. So basically I'd done really well for three semesters, but really shit for one. And uh, basically I, I listed my options. So I had Australia number one, Singapore number two, and then New Zealand number three. And long story short, a lot of smart people on my course, I got my third choice. Um, so I was actually in Spain at the time uh, when I found out. I was uh, visiting one of my best pals who lives in Madrid and to say I was gutted. I was like, oh, I can't believe it. You know, I was raging. And she like Googled Auckland and she showed me the photos. She was like, Jess. Yeah, Auckland's amazing. Listen to yourself and look at this. Like you're going to study abroad for an entire year. The other side of the world. Stop complaining. Um, and I was like, okay, that's so fair. But it was just kind of the expectation like yeah. I was dying to go to Australia um, and failing that I love Singapore I've always wanted to live and work there and hopefully will someday um, so yeah so funny because uh, I, I, I say it to like most of my best friends these days are actually from New Zealand and I say it to them and I'm like my life will be so different you, you literally so just touched on exactly what I was going to mention isn't it funny how 
regardless of what path we have kind of in our heads or like planned out and set out for ourselves, the path that ends up being taken always shows or proves itself to have been necessary to have the life that we were going to go on. So like your best friends are all Kiwis. You probably get on really well with Kiwis and it was always going to work that way, even though it was something you didn't want at the time. Exactly. And um, there's a really great, it's quite famous, the commemoration speech by Steve Jobs, oh, yeah. where his, his analogy is that, you know, you figure it out, life happens, it doesn't really make much sense at the time, but then you look, up, you look backwards and all those dots, you know, they're here, there, 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 but all of those dots are a perfect path that have led you to where you are today. So it's kind of like from the outlook, something might seem really bad, it might seem really positive, but you can't really tell until you have the benefit of hindsight a few years from now. That's, it's such a beautiful vision, those dots, and I definitely recommend people watch that uh, that speech, but it's also just a very relaxing thing. When you take that idea on and you're just trying to trust in it, you just stop freaking out about Australia versus New Zealand and all this stuff, and you just you can just relax a lot more and enjoy the moment a lot more. So I'd, I'd highly encourage people to take that on. Yeah, I really hate the, I really hate cliches and like everything happens for a reason, but it's a cliche for a reason. Exactly, you know? <laughs> exactly. Um, hydro food. How did you get into it? How did you come up with it? Why did you get into it? How's it going? Etc. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So basically, I realized halfway through my college degree. Another point in your degree: do as many internships as you can. Start in first year. You know, put yourself out there because it was my internships that got me to like the business, like the point of my business career that I am now. So many of my friends are just leaving college and they're starting their first job and it's new and it's very, whereas I'm only 23 turning 24 and I've worked for four multinationals. So internships are definitely worth checking out. It's just a point I'd like to make on that. Um, And it was through those internships and through my studies that I developed my interest in biotechnology. And it was through working for multinationals that I realized actually, do you know what? Before, I really thought I wanted to climb the corporate ladder, whether it was in the big four, whether it was in a management consulting agency. I really thought that that's what I wanted to do. Um, However, it was the reality of my internships that showed me that the corporate red tape is really frustrating for me um, and kind of set me on the path of the innovation and entrepreneurship side of things. So basically with Hydro Food, you know, my passion has always been around health and tech, and I've kind of had a very long-term vision of starting my own biotechnology company. But I really did think that I was still going to do the corporate thing first. Even now, I thought I was going to work for a tech company for the next, let's say, 10, 15, 20 years, and then go into something. Yeah. Um, but long story short, my first tech job out of college, it wasn't that it didn't go to plan. Um, it was more that I really felt like I was sold a dream. And the reality of that dream was just not, it just wasn't the dream. And I really struggled to understand that in my head. And also I feel like, you know, up until a certain point, yes, you make your own decisions, but until you leave college, the path is very well structured. Um, Whereas as soon as you leave and you're trying to get that first grad job or grad role um, or just any job in general, Everyone's like, oh, you've got all the tools now. You're grand. Like, Mm. welcome to the big bad world. And I feel like nobody prepares you for the changeover that is 
studying a full-time degree, choosing your own life, structuring your day, structuring your workload, to all of a sudden having a boss, a nine to five or an eight to six, whereby you have to sit at that one desk <laughs> no matter what. It's and yes, mad. there's obviously flexibility depending on where you work, but that's a really big shift. You know, in college, you're in college like max 200 days out of 365 in the year, you know? Hmm. Um, when you start a full-time job, you get 20 days off. That's the thing that freaked, <laughs> I got so spooked. My first job was in Sydney in, in, in an investment bank. And all the stuff you're saying is resonating so much because I went through all that. But the thing that spooked me the most, I just like couldn't get my head around it, was that there was no holidays, that there was no like terms. It was just like, okay, so I just do this every day and then I die. Like <laughs> I couldn't get, I couldn't fit it into my brain. It was so funny. So it's funny that you're talking about this stuff now. I think time just did it for me. But So time did it for me, but also getting out of a role where I wasn't okay with that. I was like, I don't want to do this all the time until I die. I want to do other stuff. And kind of... Also, I like it's kind of like the autonomy versus being micromanaged. Yeah. Balance. Yeah, it's a, strange, uh, it's a strange dynamic. But it definitely, uh, we'll throw in another cliche, it definitely uh, reminds you that you do need to do something you're interested in because it is the reality that you're going to work until you die, probably, and uh, you need to be able to enjoy it. So, For sure. Um, and that's what I definitely recommend. Like, I was adamant that I didn't want to do a grad program because I basically, I kind of like to do things quickly. And I was like, if I do a grad program, I have to commit to this for like 12 to 24 months. Um, whereas if I do a job, I'll be able to zigzag up the chain a lot quicker. Yeah. That was the vision that I had in my head. However, in hindsight, I feel like, you know, there's a reason that grad programs exist. And especially if you're someone that's used to structure or used to, you know, even if you fail all your exams and you don't agree with the structure, if you're someone that thrives on a schedule, um, definitely consider that because not only can those programs be really interesting and beneficial but like they might rotate you around different areas in a company you'll have a group of peers that you can socialize with you know there's there are definitely there's definitely a lot more to the pros and cons list than i thought about totally and it like it's it's probably 50 50 uh, horses of courses so you've got like you've got people who as you say, will benefit from the structure and it will really, that structure will help them really ease into the working life. That shocked the like of you and me who didn't do a grad program. So that's one big thing. Other big thing is empathy. If you go into like KPMG or any of those, they're gonna have 300 uh, grads with you and like the crack you have and the amount of empathy and you, you turn up at lunchtime and you're like, God, I'm having such a bad day. And they're like, me too, I have the same problems. Whereas when you're on your own, it's totally isolating. So there's huge benefits. Uh, and it, it's just based on your personality. Yeah, you've got an automatic group of mates, which yeah. is real nice. Yeah, it's um, real. So that wasn't yeah. for you, and you went down the, the entrepreneurship Yeah, and I feel like a good point to note as well, because it's happened to a lot of my friends in the past year who have tried to do this, is my mental health really suffered. And I think especially in today's world, it's very it's very common. Um, it does happen a lot, but to the point that I literally became so mentally unwell that... I didn't really have a choice whether to lose my job or not. It really was kind of my hand was forced by my family and friends that were like, yes, it's not necessarily the job itself directly, but you know, you're you're now in this position and the only way you're going to be able to break this is by leaving the job. Yeah. Um, which I think a great point to note on that was like for me, 
I found that really hard, especially making that decision because I really did feel the sense of failure. I was like, this is my first ever big girl job, first full-time job out of college and I'm leaving in a space of months. And I was like, how on earth am I going to rebuild from this? You know, like that's going to be on my CV, blah, blah, blah. I felt the same thing. That being on your CV, right? So I have a point directly to that. Uh, if you think that will stop you getting in the door somewhere, it probably it very likely won't. But then when you actually get in the door, it will help you in the interview because it'll show that you, you started to think for yourself and you actually thought against the grain, against what you know you probably should have done and according to most people. And if, it, if you can prove and tell the story of you becoming an independent thinker in an interview, that's way more powerful than anything, any kind of work experience or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, I'm delighted you brought especially, that up. That's key. Yeah, especially if you're able to, like, not necessarily reframe it. Well, you know, it's hard to go from taking a knock in your confidence and feeling like a failure to actually saying, like, no, this was my decision. I'm owning it. This is why I made it. And because I took this step now that I know that I really want this job because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's um, it's, it's brilliant for self-exploration on the value side, etc. Um, anywho, you gave it a crack yourself. That's what led me to Harder Food. So completely not planned. I mean, I didn't leave my job to start a company by any stretch of the imagination. But long story short, that was mid-February of this year. And I kind of started, you know, the job search. It took a couple of weeks and then I was like, okay, what do I actually want to do? Got my confidence back again and uh, and started doing interviews. So I was looking at jobs mostly in the tech world, mostly in London and Singapore. So had a couple of interviews, a couple went well, a couple didn't go well, the usual situation. It is a process. It takes time. Even if you're great, even if you're not great, it takes time for everyone. Um, And yeah, so by the time that I had a couple of offers and had a bit of a plan in place, the world had shut down. Hmm. Um, So honestly, there were something that keeps coming up at the moment for me um, with some really interesting work I'm doing with some pretty big founders in America is uh, the concept of facilitated serendipity. And what that means is like, you know, I didn't choose for COVID-19 to happen. Um, It happened. So that in itself is serendipitous. But all of the things that kind of led me to be in a position to start my own company were facilitated. And basically, because I now was at home full time, because I had lots of time on my hands, I decided to do one or two online courses in things that interested me, like finance. I did a financial analyst course. And then... In the same time, basically, I keep a pretty extensive note-taking system in, like, actual hard notebooks, and then I use Evernote on my laptop. I've, I've kind of tried every tool, OneNote, Notes on MacBook, but Evernote's kind of my go-to. And uh, basically, I've compiled all these notes for the last, like, four years, and I structure them in quite an organized system. And basically, I have a folder of ideas that I can dip in or dip out of. So I write down an idea when I have it. And it's like, oh, this is a subject that interested me. This is an article that interests me. This is a business concept that I'd love to explore. And basically had so much time on my hands that I got to dip back into that folder. And the same one that kept coming up and again and again was hydroponics. And hydroponics is just a technology. It's a very glorified way of saying, using water to grow plants in an indoor system. 
So basically did a little bit of Googling one afternoon and it's kind of through my degree that I learned about this technology and it's like really big in Asia, in New Zealand, it's kind of taking off in the States. All of the big names are investing in it, like, you know, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. And I looked things up and there were four companies in Ireland that were using hydroponic technology, three of whom were really small, two since who have gone out of business. They were like a typical mom and pop store, you know, little food brand. And then one company called Farmony, who we're now actually working with. And I was like, hang on a second, you are telling me that this is a proven new technology that's like taking off all over the world and nobody is doing it here. Um, So I was so confused first and foremost, but then I kind of fleshed out the idea, did a little bit of work on it. And then my best pal and kind of partner in all business ideas, uh, Lauren was working full-time in food retail at the time um, in Super Valley Longford. And basically I was like, Lauren, I've got the best idea I've ever had. I need to pitch you. (laughs) And that was on the 17th of April. I sat down and we talked for two hours. I explained all of the logic behind it. She had done her master's in food business strategy in Smurfit the previous year. And I was like, we need to do this. Like we've spoken often about starting our own business. Um, We just thought it was gonna be in like fashion or technology, like definitely had never thought about food. But it really was the idea that, you know, COVID-19 has hit. Ireland's food supply chains are going crazy. I mean, everyone knows what toilet paper was like a few months ago. Um, We had the same problem with leafy greens, just not as many people are fussed about leafy greens. Um, But they're important for some people, especially people who are unwell or have cancer, etc., etc. Things like spinach and kale are really important in their diet. So basically, we have been working now for six months, developing our products, developing our business plan, developing the business itself, and we're currently gearing up for launch. So what launch involves is our brand called Keen Greens, um, has leafy green products, so things like spinach, lettuce, herbs, sprouts, and it is all ethical, sustainable, produced here in Ireland. And we're going to be launching a direct-to-consumer business. So that's online um, via our website, hydrofood.co. And also we're going to be in some local stores. Um, so fresh and fruity in Lucan Village. And then one or two super values. How did you get those deals with the stores before launching? That's like incredible that, uh, you, got, that uh, you got your... Asking, asking. Asking, 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 asking. Interesting. You have to to put yourself out there. I mean, I'm a people person. I love chatting to people. I love learning about their story. So I find relationship building quite easy. Yeah. Um, And it's not forced. You know, that's that's just who I am. Like, I'll walk into a local health food store and I'll chat to the owner all about their business because I'm so curious about how they started, about how they're finding COVID, et cetera, et cetera. And basically, I said, listen, um, I'm a biochemist by trade. I've been working on some business stuff. We have some locally produced green, um, leafy green products. Um, Would you be interested? Literally that simple. I mean, it can be a 30 second conversation. So my family home is in Lucan and Lucan is a Musgraves owned Super Valley. And it's one of kind of the real testing grounds 
for a lot of new products. And basically I went in one of the days in maybe April and I said, hey, listen, any chance the, the GM, the general manager is around? So he came down to speak to me and I was like, hey, sorry, don't want to disturb you, but I'm Jessica. I'm creating these products. You know, would you be interested? Would you have capacity? And he's like, hell yeah, please show them to me. I'm dying for them because a product like Leafy Greens, right? It comes, they come from all over the world because in Ireland, we don't produce that many of them. So even the super value owned brand stuff, that all comes from Eastern Europe and Africa. So like they're dependent on supply chains from Eastern Europe, from Morocco, from places like Israel, yeah. from, you know, Ghana to South America. And for me, that's one of the problems I'm trying to address, right? The spinach that you eat, okay, at this time of year, it might come from somewhere in Ireland, but it's much more likely that that has been in the back of a container for almost two weeks before it gets to your house. Um, and import substitution is such a huge, um, it's such a huge area for growth in Ireland that would benefit Irish local farmers, people like us, local consumers, because you're getting fresh, healthy, local produce that has no pesticides, got no chemicals pumped into it to keep it fresh. And it's benefiting the Irish economy. So this is all unbelievable. When you're growing it, I've Googled hydroponics since um, since you started talking. And you, it's all these like little bags of water, basically. Now, the water has special nutrients in it. And you as a scientist can figure that bit out pretty much. Well, they're not, they're not special. Like lots of people have started growing plants at home, right? Since we've been in lockdown. With soil. And they have potatoes or herbs. And yes, so it's a water system and all the nutrients go into the water. But it's very sim similar to like... I don't know if anyone did those junior cert experiments where you grow plants in water and you put some you put sugar in, some you put salt in, some you put food coloring in. And it's the exact same idea, right? Except what's going into it is like the nutrients, which is just the food that the plants eat, and maybe like nitrous oxide, which is a gas that's naturally in the environment that plants need to grow. That's mad. What was So there's nothing extra or nothing artificial. Okay. Two questions. What was the hardest part about like setting up the business? And second question is, what was the most surprisingly easy part? So what was the thing that you said, oh my God, we're going to have to do that. And then you did it and it was like, that was so easy. Because I, I have had a few of those versions myself. I think the surprisingly easy one was getting clients. I feel like if you have a product that's the right product at the right time, you won't need to convince someone to buy. Um, you know, and for us, it literally is so serendipitous in the sense that COVID-19 has happened and we need fresh, healthy local food. Yeah. So if I'm able to provide that at the right price, it's very obvious for someone to want to buy from me instead of wanting to buy from the other side of the world. Got you. Okay. So that was surprisingly easy. The hardest part for me um, has been... I feel like most founders say raising money. I haven't found that too difficult because like I said, people buy into the idea very easily um, and it's a proven technology. For me, the hardest part has been switching off. I work very, very, very long days um, because I choose to, because I love it. Um, but when you're trying to launch a company, there's always something to be done. You know, I read a really good thing this morning, or I think I tweeted it or retweeted it. Um, that is like when you're stuck 
company, you need a load of Swiss army knife people that can basically like, they've yeah. got the tools to do everything. But when the company's established, you need like chef's knives that are all super specialized and are really good at what they do. Um, and basically I am a Swiss army knife right now. I do everything. Um, I'm the one getting clients on board. I'm the one developing the products. I'm the one talking to suppliers, to clients, to customers. I'm the one that does all of our online stuff. I'm the one that made our website. I'm the one that's raising the money. I'm the one that has to figure out how to pay people. I'm the one that has to hire people. Um, and there's always more to be done. So for example, for me in the past six months, I've never been more fulfilled in my work, but I also haven't really slept much. <laughs> so the hardest part for me is actually being like, okay, no, it's Saturday. You are not allowed to use your laptop <laughs> um, because it's addictive. Like, you know, especially when you're seeing traction or especially when things are going well, you just want to keep going because every time you do put in the work, you reap the reward. Yeah. Um, so it's trying to realize actually know your health is really important. You need to sleep, you need to eat, you need to exercise. And um, that's been the biggest challenge. Important for high performance as well. We talk about the same thing in five time. We talk about early days, you need uh, Jedis, and then uh, later on you need what they call stormtroopers who can just go in and kind of do the task type of thing. So you've got five people on board the team now. Like it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, so um, that's a mix. You know, that might be a bit misleading to some people. At this stage we have eight, but there's only three there are three of us kind of working full-time gotcha and, and, help, the, yeah. and the rest still have full-time jobs but do as much as they can in their free time yeah 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 it's unbelievable it's, it's like it's just it's an amazing thing to do for anyone else yourself included but you probably watched it elon musk's brother kimball musk is really into food and he has this amazing ted talk where he talks about how the food industry is i think 13 times bigger than the internet industry totally and the fish industry alone is the same size as, as internet. So uh, you're in an incredibly exciting market, doing something with social impact as well, which is amazing. Uh, I just think yeah. it's awesome, and I wish you every every luck with it. Thank you. I'll have to I'll have to share, send you some of our products so you can try them. That would be, I'd, I'd honestly love that. Uh, I've looked into doing something on the food front with childhood obesity about before, which I'll take offline with you. But um, I'm I'm very conscious of time. But there's two questions I want to ask you before we go. Uh, one is uh, a book you would recommend to people. Oh, wow. Oh, wow, oh, wow. Okay. And I'll, uh, while I'm putting you that's on the spot, the this, this, oh, did you read a lot? Yeah. What, what was the best book you read when you were like 20 or 23? Sorry, you are 20. Um, it's definitely not the best book because it's a terrible book. I really want to recommend Zero to One just because that's what got the ball moving in my head, but I really didn't like that for so many reasons as well. Oh, I have a good one because everyone recommends this and they recommend it for a reason. Um, being able to do anything in life is, for me, is about understanding people. It's understanding how they think, how they're motivated and how to engage with them in a constructive way. Especially as someone who's a very like type A personality. When, I'm when I was younger, I used to be quite bossy. Um, and obviously that's just not fun for anyone. So I really had to learn... Um, and it's kind of funny, it just happened naturally over time via travel and everything. Now I'm probably one of the most empathetic people I know. Um, Dale, Carnegie, Dale Carnegie's How to Win mm -hmm. Friends and Influence People. Come, yeah. Big recommendation. Um, and uh, Peter Thiel's Zero to One is very interesting for startups and innovation and that sort of stuff as well. 
Um, yeah. Nice, Dale Carnegie, and he's got a couple of good books actually, uh, in and around that same topic. So that's a that's a exactly. classic. That's like a 1980s book or something, and it's still rolling. It's still really popular. It's been done a few times, but nothing else has kind of compared. And I have a couple of books. Um, that I would recommend. I have a lot more, let's say, short form stuff that I would recommend above that. Um, for example, anything by Naval Ravikant. Um, if anyone's curious, just shoot me a message and I, you can include nice. my contact details. I'll, I'll put it up on, uh, on GradLab as well. And last question before I let you go is quote to live by. Okay. Um, that's so fun because this is the last question I ask everyone on my podcast as Funny. well. Uh, in, a, in a different way, but the same idea. Um, my quote that I live by is, we don't see the world as it is, we see the world as we are. Um, and for me, what that means and why that's important is that it's all about mindset. You know, I can burst my tire today and I can either be raging and be so mad because it ruins my whole day and I'm late for everything else, or I can say, shit happens. Um, so it's my mindset and it's the way I look at the world and I look at a situation that will determine my life, essentially. Nice. Good, uh, good words of wisdom. Well, Jessica Leary, thank you very much for joining. That was great. And uh, I'm sure we'll all be keeping an eye out on Hydro Food. See how it goes. Pleasure. Cheers. Uh, look forward to with you.